Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast. Broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. Today is May 31st, and we are discussing a movie because it's Movie Monday. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine in this nice, refreshing morning in Colorado. How are you doing this morning, David? I'm doing okay. The weekend and today was awful uh, rainy, and it has made me sleepy as can be. It's crazy. (laughs) Well, good. Sometimes sleep is good. Yes. I mean, I feel good, but you ever, like, sleep eight hours? Like, yesterday was Sunday. Lazy Sunday. It's Memorial Day today. And... I slept eight hours. I felt good when I woke up in the morning. I got to one in the afternoon. I'm like, I need to take a nap. I took a nap. I took another nap later on. I never nap. It's the rain makes you want to nap, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Today's Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day, David. Happy Memorial Day. And thank you to all the people who are supposed to remember on a day like today, right? Yes. And uh, Census Sequoia, shout out to all the veterans. And actually, Sequoia that we are sons of. Uh, He was a veteran, Mm -hmm. and he was in World War II. And he was in three invasions, in Sicily and two in Italy. And uh, so, shout out to all the veterans. Yes, and so we're going to discuss something today that's completely unrelated to Memorial Day. It's a short film that we watched. I think it was produced by Ars Technica. And... I mean, I have some issues with it. It's called Sunspring, you saw. I personally, uh, you, we see the uh, thumbnail here if you're watching the video version on YouTube, which you can get every day by searching Sons of Sequoia on YouTube. Um, and we'll broadcast live. Uh, all the podcasts, they have to go up on the RSS feed. So if you want to see this live as we do it, you can join us every morning at 9 a.m., Monday through Friday, for this podcast. So Sunspring... It's more of an idea than a movie. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I. It's more of an experiment in the beginning of something new than than something that's going to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's entertaining in a way that uh, they're they're trying something. It's it's an experiment. So we can take a look at the Ars Technica article. That inspired us to do this. Let's just, uh, I'll pull it up real quick. Movie written by algorithm turns out to be hilarious and intense. That's debatable. (laughs) Wouldn't you say? Well, see, I came in, okay, before getting into this, I came in, before you describe it, I'll just say, I came into this, uh, it's a it's a, like a nine minute film, short film. I thought, okay, well, films usually have a storyline, a beginning, middle, and an end. They have a purpose. They have a point. Uh, and I watched this. I kept waiting for a purpose. I kept waiting for a point. I kept waiting for a story, and I didn't get it. No. Uh, and so it wasn't hilarious. It wasn't intense. It was it was confusing. And it was, uh, I didn't know what was going on, really. It was just, it was totally confusing. I go, I didn't get it. So I don't know, I don't know where they thought it was hilarious. I think it was hilarious because it was nonsensical. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, that's so funny. Oh, that sort of resembles a line someone might write, except for it doesn't make sense. Ha, 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 ha. And 
as a viewer, you're watching it and you're like, well, they didn't. This was my initial impression, and I know a little something about how AI works. Not, I know a little something about art that AI is producing. And of course, this is from several years ago, uh, four years ago. But still, in 2017, the AI was... I watched the film and I said, okay, they didn't have a big enough data set corpus to train the, the neural network. And... Uh, whatever the algorithm was that they used to write it, focused more on making sentences that were syntactically correct than sort of training the AI to have a plot or to have a narrative or to imbue any meaning into the writing. It was sort of like, oh, take all these words that you got from these scripts that we fed you and write. So before we get into it, let's talk about yeah, exactly, let's talk about exactly what, what yeah. they did. So yeah. I'm going to go frame by frame here um, so we can just okay. take a look at this. So just above your smartphone keyboard lives an artificial intelligence. It was trained on lots and lots of emails, and it'll try to guess what you'll type next. Okay? <laughs> and then these... We were curious what would happen if you trained this kind of software on something else. And then... Science fiction screenplays. So we fed a LSTM recurrent neural network with these. And then you see it gave him the text to about 200 scripts, science fiction screenplay scripts. And one of my gripes with the movie, if we're just going to just be rawly critical, is these title screens, they went way too fast. Um, so I couldn't read this, and I didn't really absorb this the first time. I had to go back and look at this after the movie was over. But if you notice, there's about 200 scripts or so. Well, and we're watching a list of them now. And they're all, you know, scripts of... Then we gathered a cast and crew for one day. Now, I gathered from this, and I, in subsequent reading, I realized this is one of those, like, 48-hour film festival things. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm thinking maybe... They, they only trained the neural network for one day and they had it spit out the, like if you gave it more material and a longer time to sort of learn the patterns and stuff and were able to tweak the algorithm, you might have gotten something more usable. What they ended up getting was a bunch of gobbledygook. It, didn't, it was nonsense. And then let's see, is that all? Oh. Then we fed in random seeds from a sci-fi filmmaking contest. So this was the prompts that are given to you in the 48-hour filmmaker's contest. And here they were. See, I wasn't familiar with this, this contest, so I wasn't sure what these prompts were all about. Uh, it's sort of like what? when you go to an improvisational comedy show, and they say, can someone right. give me an occupation? And you're like, uh, butcher. Like, can someone give me a city, like Philadelphia? And then the cast is like, I'm just a butcher from Philadelphia. But see, that makes sense. If you know why you're getting the prompts, mm -hmm. I didn't know why these prompts were being given. Yeah. So what does that mean? Uh, but now I know. Yes. Because you explained it to me. So the title had to be Sunspring. Uh, a line of dialogue that had to be used was, it may never be forgiven, but that is just too bad. A prop and an action was a character pulls a book from a shelf, flips through it and puts it back. Optional science idea was, in a future with mass unemployment, young people are forced to sell blood. Um, now, so, if a human was writing uh, a screenplay for this, they would put all of these together 
and try to make some type of a coherent storyline and something that uh, may be science fiction, uh, but we have these characters moving through and there's reasons for saying each one of the dialogue. There's a reason for bringing the book off the shelf and putting it back. There's a reason for the mass unemployment. So uh, a human would try to think of reasons of why that's true. Yes. Like when it's that, like, incorporate the line, in the film. it may never be forgiven, but that is just too bad. You imagine one of your characters has done something or someone off screen has done something that needs to be forgiven and that they won't be forgiven for and how that's just life. And you sort of think, what are those things? You know, how do you incorporate that line of dialogue? It may never be forgiven, but that is just too bad. Something has happened that requires forgiveness, but it won't receive that forgiveness. So you're thinking AI doesn't think like that, especially this AI. Right. This AI was just like, okay, we're going to shoehorn that in with a bunch of other random sentences that I've composed. And but if a but if a human was doing that, they would try to set it up to where they're like you said, they're setting it up to once you said that, it made sense in the storyline. But what we heard was just randomly that sentence was said. Mm -hmm. Cause it's in the it's in the script. Yeah. Oh, and then let's see, there's one more thing that we'll show here. And then this is the script that popped out. Yeah, then he then they and turned it on, and then it started putting all these things together. And there it is. Yeah, so uh, right now on screen, you can't read it, but um, there's the lines. And I think, and I was telling you last night, if we take a bigger look at this. Um, so the first line is, in a future with mass unemployment, young people are forced to sell blood. That's the first thing I can do. Um, so it's interesting that it took one of the prompts and that was the first thing it shoehorned in, horned in because <laughs> yeah. it's like, okay, this is a requirement. It's like, well, let's get it out of the way. Um, so it came up with two characters called H and the screenplay writers added the name H2 to one of the characters uh, because it was too confusing. And the article, the Ars Technica article, and Ars Technica was responsible for this. So thank you for giving us a piece of content to talk about today said it can't, the AI couldn't figure out proper names because they're too varied, which seems like, well, it's not a very smart AI at that point. Um, well, I think what they're trying to do is AI is trying to pull a character from from their, their uh, all the material that they had, right? Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't know which character would say this. So they just said H. H, yeah. So, I mean, we can read a little bit of the dialogue. I don't want to play too much of the movie. You should watch it, but it's like, you should see the boys and shut up. I was the one who was going to be 100 years old. I saw him again the way you were sent to me. That was a big, honest idea. I am not a bright light. Well, I have to go to the skull. I don't know. Uh, and there's a lot of I don't know. And I think that, what do you mean? I don't know anything about any of this. Then what? There's no answer. We're going to see the money. So they mentioned this in the article as well, how a lot of sci-fi movies, there's a lot of searching in the world and saying, like, I don't know what's going on, trying to understand your, your surroundings. So if we take a look at the script, um, I don't know is in the beginning. I don't know he is here uh, on the second column. I don't know is here. 
So I think that they see the words I don't know a lot in sci-fi scripts. Oh, uh, didn't have the, I don't know, I don't know. And so that played in the AI's determination of what is a sci-fi. It's like, oh, it's the word I don't know being said over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it was just doing, like, run the numbers on what phrases get used the most. And then, you know, sort of plug those into a script in random fashion. It's not like they're being used for any effect. And I think, I think well, that, that's the key. That it does, it, it's true. Uh, a lot of sci-fi say, I don't know, that's true. Mm -hmm. And it is, that's true. Uh, but I think you hit the nail on the head. It's that it's not just there to be there. It's there for some kind of effect. And there is some kind of a reason why it's there in the in the, uh, in the material. And AI didn't do that. Yes. So, I mean, it's just... And so I think we, we can get into... They trained the neural network. And they had it spit out this script. And then they shot it. And they shot it with, uh, you know, Hollywood actors. Thomas Middleditch from uh, Silicon Valley. Other people. There were three actors. And it did well in the film festival. And I was saying this yesterday... One of the reasons it did well, and I'll pull back up the movie, and you won't be able to see this on podcast, but um, the shots, we're looking at one of the shots now. They're cinematic. Yeah, you they're know? very good. The, the, the film is lit well. Uh, the sound, you can understand all the dialogue. There's a little bit of sound design. Everyone's wearing costumes. Um and I think that at a 48-hour film festival, and this is not to rag on any independent filmmakers, but the level of competence displayed in the filmmaking, regardless of the script, was probably a level above a lot of the entrance. You know, you'll get stuff that's filmed on cell phones, the sound, you can barely make out the dialogue, there's no music or sound design. This had all of that stuff. It was a real team sort of putting together a nine-minute film. And the only thing that AI had to do with it was the script. So you could take a look at this, and there's a special effect shot later. Here he is. There it is, yeah. Where he's in the stars. Yeah. And he's under under table, yeah. So, you know, they cut he's the frame. They had a green screen, obviously. And it's, like, not the most, but it's composited correctly. You know, you're not seeing. So there's competence to the filmmaking, and I think that's what carried... Uh, that's what carried people. Oh, that was it was interesting. Didn't make any sense, but you know something's going on. I think that does a lot to go a long way in a forty-eight hour film festival when a lot of the people participating, God bless them, but they'll be incompetent at filmmaking. And uh, the the team that made this movie, you know, look at this shot. It's well lit. Yeah, and it's and it the background is is the lighting is is subtle. Uh, the subject is lit up, and so it is. It is produced, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't. I wouldn't use the word incompetent. I would say it did. They didn't have the same amount of expertise or ability or uh, technology at hand as yeah. they did. Mm -hmm. they, they brought. They brought to the to the game uh, a lot more uh, resources than a lot of the filmmakers yeah. made. Other filmers are very creative, but they didn't have the, the resources. So I think they finished in the top 10. I forget exactly how it played out. But they were like, oh, there was over 200 entrants and we got top 10. And it's like, I would hate to see uh, 200 through or whatever, 11 through 200. <laughs> because yeah. this film wasn't very good. good. 
Good point, David. <laughs> Can you imagine watching that many? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and this is sort of a Mount Everest situation, like because it's something that's never been done before. Let's and it's a forty-eight hour film festival. It's not like we're putting a hundred million dollars into an AI movie. Uh, we're filming over the course of one day. Um, the special effect shots, even though they're not, they're they're not million dollar shots. It's like a green screen and a, you know, stock star background. Uh, so I think what they did was. But the three actors were very good. Yeah. I thought they were excellent. Well, I they're thought, they're, thought, they're professional actors. And then it and it showed. Those actors were very. What were they? Oh, I have a I have a pull up here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Thomas Middleditch. H, Thomas Middleditch, Elizabeth Gray, and Humphrey Kerr. They were great. Mm-hmm. They were very good. They did a very good job. Yeah. And and so, uh, but the only thing that didn't, and, and uh, the production was extremely good. The actors did a good job with the script. Uh, the script was just really went nowhere. Yeah. Which, which is a very good point. Very good point. When you have a good, when you have a good uh, film, uh, what is the necessary elements of a good film? It's a good script. Yeah. Although you know, you can sort of polish a turd, and if people aren't paying attention, they're like, "Oh yeah, I remember that one. It was competently done. It didn't make any sense to me, but it's better than this one about you know aliens from the planet Zargon, where everyone's wearing rubber masks." You know, and so it'll it'll get tenth in the film festival because it's like, oh yeah, I remember that one. It was well lit and well acted. Um, I see that with music a lot. You know, you'll write a song and the song doesn't have any meaning, but it sounds nice. So well, then people like it because of the music. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so people make. I think it's possible for people to like film because of the lighting and that's right. The dialogue sounds good and there's sound design. There's uh. You know, if we listen, you won't be able to hear it, but I don't know. I'll just choose a random shot. I was... If you listen, it's scored. Um, I can share real quick the sound. Yeah, why couldn't we share it? It's on YouTube. Because uh, whenever we share stuff that's copywritten, but I'll just play just a few shots, and you'll hear there's a score in the background. And it sort of adds to the emotion of the script, like dung, ominous tones being played, you know, in the whole notes and chords. That does a lot for emotion that a script doesn't do. So it's like if you're saying these lines, but you're getting a minor chord, a dun, you're being told to feel a certain way about these lines. Mm-hmm. Time was trying to stop me. He was like a baby and he was gone. I was worried about him. And even if he would have done it all, he couldn't come anymore. I didn't mean to be a virgin. I mean, he was weak. I thought I'd change my mind. Okay, that's enough of that. It's it's a bunch of nonsense, <laughs> but you get the idea, right? But 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 what's her name? Elizabeth Gray. Mm-hmm. Very dramatic. Yeah. Very dramatic. It was very well presented. She she's very good. Now is that going to take us down? You think? What? I hope not. I just get upset when they take us down because we play two seconds of a trailer. And it's like, we're talking about your little movie. We're bringing notoriety to it. We're not trying to steal it. You know what I mean? 
even yeah. though we're being relatively critical of this. Now, <clears throat> here's the knock on us for what we've said so far. This was, like you said, not really, they're not trying to win an Oscar. They're trying to do something that's never been done. And they did it. They had an AI spit out a script. They got together actors and sets and costumes and uh, lighting people and sound people. And they filmed over the course of a day. And they made the first movie written by an AI. And I think they deserve kudos for that. That's right. That's right. And so they made it happen. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, when you think about this, when you step back and think not what they did, but the whole big picture of actually doing this with artificial intelligence and neural networks on uh, creating a script with characters and putting it together. What was missing was the human touch. Uh, and I think there's a lot to be drawn from that. In artificial intelligence, you can design something and forget to put things in because we're humans, we make mistakes. But you don't want to, and I've mentioned this before, not in this podcast, but in other places, uh, in artificial intelligence, uh, they can make decisions faster. Uh, they, they put the screen take, screenplay together very quickly, mm -hmm. uh, the AI did. But it can be faster than humans. It can uh, accumulate information faster than humans. It can produce something faster than humans. But it doesn't have the same same content that a human would have. And so when you program these things, uh, when you program AI to do something, humans make mistakes. And so they won't give them everything they need, all the prompts they need, all the ability they need. Uh, and we saw that in the film, that there was no humanity to it. Mm -hmm. There was no link to it. And so you got to be careful giving AI the ability to make decisions. And without the humans overseeing what the AI is doing and making the decisions. So AI is just valuable in supporting human judgment not replacing human judgment. Mm -hmm. That's my point. For now. Because if you, well, that's what I'm saying. In the future, uh, how do we incorporate uh, humanity into a machine? So we have to think about that. So we have to think about what type of humanity do we want to put into a machine with AI? Whose humanity? It's fascinating. The more I think of it, you think, okay, well, look how many different countries there are. Do we want a European humanity? Do we want a North American humanity? Do we want an Asian humanity, an African humanity, an Australian? Uh, each one is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And so, or do we give, or, or do we have checks and balances so an AI can't have total control? Remember, two thousand one Space Odyssey. Yeah, I mean, people like to point to that, but I guess my point is for now is the AI is in its infancy. It's taking baby steps, and we look at it, and it's like it's like a baby. But computers, you know, by 1990 were 10 times more powerful than computers in 1980. And by 2000, they were 10 times more powerful than computers in 1990. By 2010, they were 10 times more powerful. So we think, look at this baby. We need to make it help it grow. But... If it keeps growing at an exponential rate, it won't be long, maybe 2100, 100 years, where AI will be guiding us. We won't be guiding AI. Well, it can now in cars. 
Mm -hmm. It can in some business decisions. Uh, it can in forecasting. It can and it can a lot. It does now in a lot of quantitative areas mm -hmm. where the direction is based totally on the numbers. But when you go beyond that, where the decision is not based totally on the numbers, but there's other types of uh, conflicting, the world is full of contradictions. Yes, but uh, what I'm saying is uh, AI may be more poised to understand and conquer those contradictions than we are in 100 years. And it's like, we can't give it any parameters at some point. It'll be able to tackle all these things better than we can. And just because it's still in its infancy, we're like, well, we need to guide it. And the thing is, it might be unguidable. And it might be unguidable sooner than later. Yeah, well, what, what uh, having looked at AI a little bit, uh, I'm not an AI expert, but looked at it a little bit, uh, you can program it to learn a certain way uh, for certain objectives to move in a certain direction. So all I'm saying is, is that I'm not saying it's wrong or bad. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it can be dangerous if you don't do it the right way. In the hands, because in the hands of people who don't do it correctly, they can create an AI that can beat your AI uh, that you don't have, you don't design it in that way. Now, my, I guess what I'm thinking of is, is back in uh, World War II, where we did not want everyone to have hands on the weapons uh, that were available. Because in the hands of someone who uh, was a maniac that pushed that button and all of a sudden have devastation, the same thing can happen with AI. Mm -hmm. If in the hands of someone who says, I'm going to put that in there, I'm going to take this out and say, just do this. And it could have devastation. Yeah. Because AI is stronger in some areas than humans. But it's stronger because it doesn't necessarily have the humanity of a human. Yeah. Well, I've heard this argument made before. And this, so this isn't a novel argument by me, but, you know, the. NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, was saying all these people are dying in car accidents. And so consumer protection agencies said, well, we should advocate for a mandatory seatbelt law. And so they said, we should have a mandatory seatbelt law. And the automakers pushed back against it because they didn't want to have to include the extra cost of having seatbelts in all their cars. And there was lobbyists that said, look, you know, my son or daughter died in a crash. And they came to the realization that maybe a seatbelt law is a good idea. We can save a lot of lives. And, you know, 10 years after the idea was formed, the legislation was passed. And people say, when you're looking at a problem that AI presents, and you say, this AI, it's out in the wild, and it's dangerous. We need to do something about it. If you drag your feet and you lobby and you make legislation and you pass it 10 years later, that AI is orders of magnitude more dangerous by the time you solve the first problem. Uh, you're solving for a problem that doesn't exist anymore because the AI is constantly evolving. No, I didn't, I didn't totally follow your logic there. Okay, so um, let's say that a car crash... You know, in uh -huh. 1955, cars drove about 60 miles an hour and crashes killed about 20% of people because there are no seatbelts. 
1965, cars drove about 60 miles an hour. And crashes killed about 20% of people because there are no seatbelts. When everyone had to put in seatbelts by 1975 because they, the law got enacted, crashes only killed 5% of people, but cars still drove 60 miles an hour. Now, if you take that analogy, the AI is driving 60 miles an hour and crashes kill 20% of the people. By the time you enact the legislation 10 years later, the cars are driving 6 million miles an hour and killing 99% of the people. If you don't enact the law? If- yeah, you're, you're, the, the pace that humans move and the pace that technology moves are completely separate from each other. So laws are designed in an area where people would write with a feather quill on parchment and send it via horseback. Uh, the speed at which technology progresses, you can't drag your feet like we have in the past because these problems will become acute. And by the time you address them, they will have evolved to become more acute. And AI can... It can uh- make decisions faster to keep up with the advancement of technology? Is that Mm -hmm. what you're saying? Um, Yeah, I'm saying that a problem, by the time you solve it, there might be a new problem. Yeah, yeah. And AI can can, uh, respond to those problems in in, uh, a real time that's going to be effective Mm -hmm. and not not too little too late. Like, as a kind of thing like uh, what you're saying is... uh, Unfortunately, like the like United States is much more reactive to problems than proactive to problems. Mm-hmm. They say we have a problem, we need to solve this. Well, why do we have a problem? Because we never did anything to prevent it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, because we're not. Pro- is that is that what you're kind of getting at a little bit? Yeah. Well, I'm also saying technological issues that are unforeseen. I think you could see this a lot in the algorithmic way that um, social media influences people, and I've made this argument before on the podcast, if you and I watch Top Gun, we both see Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer and Anthony Edwards and uh, Kelly McGillis, is that her name? And we both hear The Righteous Brothers and Take My Breath Away, and we both see F-14 Tomcats flying on an aircraft carrier. If you and I both use Facebook for a month, we see completely different things every time we open up Facebook. And so you think you know what Facebook is. But Facebook is algorithmically tailored to you to keep you using the app. And it's algorithmically tailored to me to keep me using the app. And so when we talk about Facebook, we think we're talking about Top Gun. But really, we're talking about two different things to two different people. And it's designed that way. And so it's opaque when you say, oh, we need to do this. There's too much misinformation on Facebook. And it's like misinformation might be 0.1% of the information that's on Facebook, but 30% of the users might be accessing it because once you start accessing misinformation, you're more likely to click on ads. And they're not optimizing for correctness of information. They're optimizing for click-through rates on ads. Very good point, David. Very good point. That's true. Very true. So, yeah, I mean, uh, but to get back to Sunspring, I wanted to talk about something real quick. Uh, I don't want to go through the article. I mean, we read a lot of articles here, but we read this last night. One thing is some of the crew or some of the cast members saw a love triangle plot. Some of them saw this. And the even the title, it's hilarious and suspenseful or whatever. Hilarious and intense. I didn't get any of that. It all seemed like <laughs> nonsense to me. I didn't me. either. Like, I didn't find well, it hilarious or intense. I didn't see the love triangle plot. And people, and then they mentioned this. They were reading in things from a real movie into something that wasn't there because it was deliberately vague. 
And so that reminds me of, have you ever heard of Inspirobot? Uh, yeah. I, I yeah. think I've told you about Inspirobot. Let's you pull told up me about it. Inspirobot. Inspirobot is an artificial intelligence. They just trained it. Now, it's easier to do this because it's one sentence. Um, so this computer programmer for from Sweden said, I saw all these posts on Facebook, and there was like a picture of like a meadow with an inspiring saying. And so he basically scraped Facebook, and he got all of them, and he trained an AI to create inspirational sayings of its own. Now, unlike a script where there's dialogue between two people and a plot, it's much easier to do one line. But if you use Inspirobot and you say, generate me an inspirational clip, you'll start reading stuff into what the AI has done, even though it's just sort of randomly putting words together in a pattern that it's seen from Facebook from other posts. Should we try a few? Sure. We could probably have a whole episode of just having a Inspirobot uh, saying mm -hmm. and then having some real applications. So let's take a look at it. Let's generate an Inspirobot. Okay. Here we go. Here it comes. Here it comes. Drink bleach. Prepare for failure and never, never prepare to die. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here comes another one. Here comes another one. You don't have to become a teacher to generate revenue. That one is true. It's true. Uh -huh. That's true. That's true. Here's a third one. If you understand how to confuse her, you understand how to understand her. <laughs> and so you start doing stuff like this, and uh, <laughs> you can say, right. "Oh, there's some sort of there's it's deeper." Like you know, some of them they'll come on combinations of words, and it's it's like, "Oh, that's a little deeper than I thought," you know. And really, it's not deep. You're putting the deepness in with your own mind. And yeah, right. what I like about Inspirobot, perhaps more than this, because I don't think the technology is there for Sunspring yet. Because mm -hmm. in a movie, you're expecting a narrative thrust. When you're talking about just one line, we'll generate one more. Because there's some that I've actually thought about. Sue people unashamedly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's terrible. <laughs> Sexy hunks everywhere. Work together for your common goal, <laughs> making Social Security history. Okay. I want to okay. find one that's sort of like, always examine the ignorance of your own body. There's one. <laughs> one what? Like, it's like, oh, yeah, like, there's things that I don't know, you know? There's things that I haven't explored. There's things that my body and mind haven't... So, like, by examining your own ignorance, whether it's body or mind, you could grow. You could use that as, like, a, a touchstone. But really, it was just putting random words together. Yeah. Well, it's a good good contrast, David, because the Inspirobot, they put words together, and then you build a narrative around it. Mm -hmm. But then the, the AI in the uh, uh, sunshine sun, or whatever sun, it is. Sunspring? Sunspring. Uh, they had random words, but there was no context because you were expecting the movie to do that and didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Now, here's my question, though, with Inspirobot, because I have used it and said, oh, that's kind of 
in its way or in my interpretation profound. And we didn't get any good ones today in the five or six we did. <laughs> but it's not, good ones. it's not profound. It's r- random uh, putting together of a sentence using an uh, AI and you're adding the profundity to it with your thinking. Now, how often does that happen with art that you've seen that's created by humans? Same. Yeah. I I think it happens a lot. You start saying, or if someone tells you like, oh, this piece of music or this piece of art is a masterpiece, and you look at it and you're like, I don't know, (laughs) but let me pretend like it is because everyone else says it is. And To you it is, yeah, if you're honest. Yeah. I think that that's... Do you remember the first thing I said once the mo- once that movie was over last night? Because I didn't expect what I was going to see. Do you remember the first thing I said? No. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. So um, people don't want to say they don't get it, especially in art. They go, oh, yeah, and they'll make something up. Uh-huh. <laughs> To throw some words to, almost like an inspiral bot, throw some words together that, and then it, the listener, your words and that art, which you didn't really get, but you said some words. And so the listener starts somehow putting them together. Mm-hmm. It reminds I've me, noticed, I noticed that a lot. It reminds me of a great South Park episode. <laughs> uh, Matt Parker and Trey Stone, Scrody McBoogerballs. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. The Tale of Scrody McBoogerballs. Second episode of the 14th season. Um the four boys, Kyle, Stan, Kenny, and Cartman, they write a vulgar book called Scrody McBoogerballs. And they want it to get banned because they've learned about banned books. But when Stan's parents discover the manuscript, the boys say that Butters, they're he's like the foil, he's the nice guy that they always blame everything on, wrote it. And then they get enraged when people read it and hail it as a literary masterpiece. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's that's brilliant. Yeah, and it's sort of it's sort of like a play on Catcher in the Rye, because Catcher in the Rye got, um, and so Butters. He writes his own novel because Scrody McBoogerballs becomes a literary masterpiece called The Poop That Took a Pee. And it doesn't make any sense, but everyone in the town is reading it. And they're saying, oh, I don't know. I think that there's actually more nuance to The Poop poop That Took a Pee than there is to Scrody McBoogerballs. They're trying to say, you know, not only did the first one have artistic merit, this new one that's not as good also has maybe even more artistic merit. And it's sort of just a play on how if you're told something's good, you'll try to find any justification for, for liking it that you can. Because there must be something there. Yeah. So you've got you to gotta find why it's good. And so you'll make things up like, oh, I see that. Yeah. And then whatever connection there is, even weak, they'll try to fold it into something more meaningful. Yeah. And I think, honestly, if you didn't know that Sunspring was written by a computer, and so you went into it, you would say, I don't know what they're trying to say. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to sort of 
put that dialogue together as a narrative in my head. Maybe the writer is on a different level than me. And the writer is on a different level than you because they're a computer and they don't really understand narrative or plot. Um, but you might think, oh, maybe they're just on a, like a smarter level than me and I don't get what they're doing. So I think that uh, like humans tend to give people that create, creatives, the benefit of the doubt. They do, which, uh, just a tangent here, I know we're going to, I'm going to go on a tangent, but they'll give art benefit of the doubt. It's the opposite with science. Mm -hmm. In other words, you don't want to be dumb with music or a, or art, or even a novel, or a book. I say, oh, that is so cool, that is so cool. But if you're talking about a mathematical equation, oh, that's so difficult, I don't know, I, I can't understand that. You know, I'm dumb, I'm dumb. And that's cool, mm -hmm. unless you're a nerd. And if you, like, if, you, if you know the math and science, you're a nerd. But if you like the actual literature, you're cool. That's our society, which is unfortunate. Not everywhere, the STEM is trying to change it, but this is kind of a tangent, but uh, it just made me think of that. But you're right. Uh, they do want to understand. Uh, uh, they'll have uh, book clubs and they talk about the books and throw around ideas. And uh, that how many book clubs are there on mathematics books or physics books or chemistry books? Mm -hmm. I don't know too many, you know. Let's read a physics book and let's talk about uh, general general relativity. Just as this just talking about what it means. Well, I mean, but there's Reddit. There's Reddit, and you can go to Reddit.com and you can search physics. Come on, and there's a thirteen thousand member community, a 1.7 million member community, textbooks mm -hmm. and resources, double slits with single atoms. So there are places online where every single, now there may not be in your community. But what, I, what I'm getting at is that these, are, these would be called nerds. Yeah, but I mean, uh, the cool guy is not reading Eat, Pray, Love with a bunch of middle-aged women. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so a book club isn't necessarily for non-nerds. No, the the cool guy would know all the different songs and or Star Wars, and they know they know. See, but and and 20 years ago, the person that knew Star Wars lore would be a nerd. You know. Well, they knew all the movies. They knew all the uh, book. They knew all the the musics and the songs and and whatever. If you had a liter literary uh, either songs or books or whatever. The literary aspect. Ask someone, do you know William Shakespeare? How many people on the street would know who William Shakespeare was? Uh, 60%? Probably. Well, they've heard of him. But mm -hmm. they, uh, yeah, he wrote the plays and sonnets and things. But then you ask, then you go on the, on the street and ask him uh, who was... Uh, a scientist. Isaac Newton. I mean, Isaac I, Newton's I, the analog to William Shakespeare. And Isaac Newton, yeah. And it probably would be less. Mm-hmm. 10% maybe. And what did he do? Oh, what did William Shakespeare do? Oh, he wrote plays. Romeo and Juliet, did, Hamlet. Yeah, what did Isaac, 
what did Isaac Newton write? What did Cal- he do? Calculus, gravity theory, color theory. <laughs> how, many, how many people would know A and how many people know B? Well, That's what I'm getting. I think that that sounds like an experiment you can do. I think that's a really good experiment. Maybe, maybe we should do that, David. Maybe when you uh, retire and you launch your YouTube channel, you can do Man on the Street. <laughs> and actually interview him. Will you be my cameraman, I'll David? be your camera. I'll run sound and, and video for you. Sound and video. I says, could I ask you questions? We're doing a video. You know, who was William Shakespeare? And what did he do? Who was Isaac Newton? And what did he do? Who was Galileo? And what did he do? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who was Harper Lee? And what did she write? <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. But anyway, uh, again, we're getting off a little bit uh, tangent, but that's what we do here. Mm-hmm. I was listening to uh, NPR about podcasts, and I think it was the guy that started Anchor. Have you ever heard of Anchor? No. It's like a podcasting platform where you don't need to do everything that we do. So we... You know, we're on YouTube, and then we upload to our RSS feed, and you can find us on Stitcher or Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Now, he's d- developed a one-stop shop. You just absorb the content through his app, Anchor, and then you don't have to do your – it does a lot of the work for you that we do to get this yeah. published. And he's like, I just wanted to make it easier for people to publish. And it's like, yeah, and, you know, own the platform where they do publish too. That's probably another reason. Um, but he's like, when I listen to a podcast, what I want is snappy, short, and no one's veering off topic. You're going to get that information. You're trying to get insights per minute. And it's like, that sounds like a programmer. He's optimizing for efficiency with his listening minutes. A lot of times when I listen to a podcast, I just want to hear people talk. Yeah. Yeah. And if the, and, con- and if the conversation uh, meanders, that's fine. Talk from one idea to another idea, and that's kind of what we do. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that too. We're not here to try to educate. We're here. We're here just to talk and to understand what the other person is saying, and try to understand what these people were doing. Mm-hmm. And when you start thinking about what they did, uh, the who who was the uh, uh, Sharp, Oscar Sharp was the director. Ross Goodwin had the AI. What they did, it was fascinating. It it is. There they are. Director Oscar Sharp and then uh, Sharp's longtime collaborator Ross Goodwin is an AI researcher at New York University. Uh, what they put together is kind of like the beginning maybe of a revolution. Uh, I, I think it's a long time coming, but they finally took that step. Mm-hmm. That, that small step for man. Uh, what's the saying? Small step for man. Giant leap for mankind. Yeah, giant leap for computer kind. I'm not. I'm not saying this is a exactly the same, but it is a step in a direction of AI uh, that can be done. And who knows what the uh, what the spinoffs of this could be? Mm-hmm. They're trying to write, just write a screenplay, but how many other things could this be used for other than just writing a screenplay? Yes. And I mean, for uh, who is the Ross Goodwin, the AI guy, he's taking an LSTM, which is a long short term memory algorithm and trying to apply it with a corpus, the body of work, which is, you know, 200 some odd scripts and put out something usable 
And you say, well, my phone does something like that. And they say that even at the beginning, you know, your phone predicts text. Well, Google, their corpus, or Apple, their corpus, is everything everyone's ever said into their phone. And that is the equivalent to millions and millions and millions of novels. Of course, it's always like, turn on my flashlight or set timer for 10 minutes. Uh, you know, it's never... Uh, no, they're not feeding it novels. They're sort of telling it to be a personal assistant. But still, they have more data. They have more accents. They have more, you know, like natural language processing. Uh, they have more data points to work with. So this is one guy trying to develop a script with his AI, whereas Google, I'm sure their AI team is thousand strong, and their corpus, their data points, are coming in every single day from all over the world. And the neural network is designed to become better with more data, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with, with larger samples or larger learning corpus, you're going to get corpi, you're going to get much stronger results. Mm -hmm. So the fact that one guy did this, uh, to one guy built the neural network, and I'm sure that he was standing on the shoulders of giants, like Newton said and using techniques that he'd learned from other researchers and sort of just applying it to something novel. And that's a lot of what academic and scientific and artistic inquiry is about. It's taking something that exists and saying, you know what hasn't been done with this before? This. Let's try it. Let's, let's have this write a script and then let's film it. And you got to respect that. Absolutely, because when you start applying things to different places, uh, they could be dead ends, and they could lead someplace you didn't expect. And in the future, those dead ends could be resurrected and still find more things you didn't expect. Mm -hmm. That's why you should always keep trying things. Always keep trying things. And just and document what you do so you can go back and, and pull it back again, pull it out again. Yeah. Because the environments and landscapes change. It's like I remember when I was younger, I was going on tour with a band, and we were touring California, and my buddy, Ned, he said, do you like chicken? I'm like, yeah, I like chicken. He's like, do you like waffles? And I'm like, yeah, I like waffles. He's like, well, you're going to like them in the same meal. There's a restaurant in California called Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles. You got to go there. <laughs> So we made it. They give you big old pieces of fried chicken with waffles and you smother syrup all over them. And it's delicious. Now, <laughs> now, chicken and waffles in the 2000s, they sort of made their way across the country. People realized, oh, that's a good breakfast. You know, a couple pieces of fried chicken, a couple waffles. You're good for the day or you're good to go back home and take a nap. But um, so one person starts doing something somewhere and maybe it catches on nationwide like this, I'm using food as examples because everyone eats food. I see Nashville hot chicken. Have you seen this? No. So in Nashville, like uh, 10 years ago, they started serving hot chicken, which is basically like spicy fried chicken. And they serve it with sweet tea and, you know, you're – and it's uh, sweeping the nation. Like, you know, everyone's offering their hot chicken variant of the Nashville hot chicken. And it's like – People go, oh, that Nashville hot chicken is so good. In 10 years' time, people may forget that Nashville hot chicken was really hot in their early 2020s. But it'll still be good, <laughs> right? So like uh -huh. the, everything you do, um, 
it's the adoption that brings it into people's consciousness. But if there's not adoption, that doesn't mean that it's not good. And it can be adopted later. Like I think that's a roundabout way to restating your point. You should do something because this field of inquiry, using AI to write scripts, they may say, oh, yeah, that sunspring didn't make sense and it may lie dormant. But in 100 years' time, they're like, oh, they did sunspring. Let's, let's start developing that technology more. And so 20 years from now, it may be a failure. 100 years from now, it may be that what started it all. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, yes, absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right, David. Uh, and also, sometimes they tried to, to write a screenplay. Uh, and maybe that'll go nowhere. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But since it will, well, maybe we, since they opened that door, maybe we should use this to write other things that are going to be that are going to be more useful today. And so, even if you never go back to that, it opened the door for that type of application of AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like so, uh, like instruction manuals or, or recipes. Like maybe an AI would be incredible at writing recipes for cookbooks or instruction manuals for board games or, you know, instruction manuals for putting together Ikea furniture. And, you know, the, the natural language it uses is just more logical once you train it enough where it's like, okay, we got these pieces. This is how it goes together. And it's like, okay, two seconds later, here's your instruction manual. We've printed it out with graphics and, and language. And anyone that looks at it should be able to put together this Ikea couch or whatever or coffee table because... So there might be a use for it that may not be screenplays, but it may be very useful in the world. Or as fast as uh, manufacturing is going, as fast as inventory control with uh, global supply chains, uh, when you have a pandemic, uh, when you have disruptions in supply chains, you have to come back and you have solutions, but you need to uh, inform people and you have to connect with people and say, here's what you need to do. Uh, how many people need to really learn how to do what needed to be done when we had a a a pandemic? Well, they could do that immediately and send out here are instructions on what everyone needs to do. And so what they did was a was a was a push type of of a thing saying, uh, listen to this, and they had to come uh, to listen to it. Well, maybe they had in, detailed instructions for everyone. But the instructions are different uh, for different people within that disruptive supply chain. Mm -hmm. And this could generate specific things that they had to do and put it all together so that you can you can uh, uh, respond and then uh, respond to to a disaster and come back very, very quickly. And uh, it's not going to take weeks and weeks and months to come back after disaster, it can just take a few days or even a few hours. Mm -hmm. So communication and instruction, uh, who knows where this goes? Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I think I think you never discount anything. Always run with it. And that's, again, that's the human that's the human touch. Yes. I What I like is I watch the movie, and you can watch the movie too. It's called Sunspring. It's available on Ars Technica, and it's available on YouTube. It stars Thomas Middleditch. He's in the thumbnail, just like he's in the thumbnail of this YouTube video. He um, Now, the movie, if you get something out of it, I think you might have some sort of psychological condition because I don't think there's much to be gotten out of it. <laughs> but I see it more as an exercise 
in new technology and then letting new technology run with the ball. And I think there's nothing wrong with that in this day and age. And these people can say, maybe we're the first. We're the first to produce a film, a short film, written by an AI. And and that's great. It's like when we watch that movie Feeling Through. Well, this is different, but a little bit like that. And it was the first movie uh, to be nominated for an Oscar that starred a blind and deaf person. And that's awesome, you know? I mean, I think that being first is cool. It's a good reason to do something because if you're, you can be first, but you won't be the last. And maybe the what will happen because of what you've done will inspire people or, or, you know, push the state of technology or the state of filmmaking forward. And that's a good thing. It's a, it's a very good thing. It's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. You should keep trying new things. Some things work, some things don't. And sometimes it's not so much whether they work or whether the whether they work or whether they don't work. The key is you tried something. Yes. It's well, the trying. Well, we've gone about an hour, so I think I'm gonna play the outro music. Okay. Th- does that sound okay to you? Sounds okay to me. All right. Well, do you wanna say goodbye to everyone? I do. Uh here's Sons of Sequoia. We wanna say keep on talking. And listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. Bye. Bye.